Brothers and sisters, would you open up to Daniel chapter 10 with the Bibles that you have or the apps that you may have? Daniel chapter 10. I'm going to give you a heads up for next week. Those of you who are going to be returning again next week or be watching it live next week, I need you to be reading Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12 in advance. And here's the reason. I am not going to read all of Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12 next week uh, because there's plenty for me to be diving into with just the content. And 11 and 12 go really well together and it'll be ending up a series. Um, so I need you to read in advance. And some of you, as you're going to be reading through it, going, I, need, I don't know what to do with this. That's fine. That's why I'm here. Okay. Um, also, I want to remind you or let you know that uh, following uh, the first week in September, we are going to be starting a brand new series. We're going to be coming to the end of Daniel, and we are going to be entering into a, um, uh, for me, I think it's going to be a challenging, but it's going to be a fun series in the book of Judges. I have never heard a sermon series on the book of Judges. Uh, but I think that this book is going to be a very good book as we start rolling into and have already started experiencing political things in our day and age. And the book of Judges has something to say about uh, the people of God who are cyclical in constant cycles about how to live with and without God. So uh, just want to give you some preparation as some of you are considering I'm sure going away for Labor Day this might want to bring you back for Labor Day this is a great opportunity for you to be hearing the first series in Judges uh, first sermon in Judges so would you please stand if you are able as we read from Daniel chapter 10 and uh, before we read let's pray for God's guidance his blessing as we read his word and here it preached. Father, with our Bibles and hearts now open, we pray that the Spirit would be our teacher and that you would conduct that divine thing that you do so well, whereby in the mystery of all, you use the voice of a mere man and you take up your word and by the Holy Spirit, you use it in our lives. Lord, would you accomplish your purposes today in our lives through the reading and preaching of Daniel chapter 10? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of Christ speaks to us like this. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who's, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and, I, and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Gupaz 
around his waist. His body was like barrel. His, his face was like the appearance of lightning. His, his eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them. And they hid, fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My, my radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my, on my hands and, and knees. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, a man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your, word have, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I, I said to him who, who stood before me, O oh Lord, my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me. And, and he said, oh man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace, what does it say? Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Daniel, your prince. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as I mentioned, it, was, it is we're finding ourselves in a political season. Back in 1992, it was a consequential year in American politics. How many of you remember who was running for president in 1992? Who? Bush, Clinton, Perot. Yes, very good. Bush, 
Clinton and Perot. The incumbent Republican president, George H.W. Bush, ran against the Democratic nominee, Bill Clinton, and a late entering Ross Perot. Strange, odd man, but he ran nonetheless. And yet none of these men gave any kind of speech that was really memorable. The only one that kind of gave a, a speech that was really remembered was given by the defeated contender for the Republican uh, nomination. His name, he was a journalist, his name was Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan. Buchanan's speech was given on the Monday night of the Republican uh, convention, and it cast kind of this presidential election into some kind of apocalyptic uh, kind of categories. The most significant lines of his speech, and just for the record, this is not a sermon in favor or against or neutral for any kind of candidate. I just want to put that out here. But this is what he said on the floor of the Republican National Convention. He said, my friends, this election is about much more than who gets what. It's about who we are. It's about what we believe. It's about what we stand for as Americans. There is a religious war going on in our country for the soul of America. It's a cultural war. As critical to the kind of nation we will one day become as the Cold War itself. Can you hear the applause breaking out on the floor? It's a cultural war. And these lines uh, using the, the cultural war actually were drawn from a recent academic book from the University of Virginia. And Buchanan drew from this academic discussion that was going on that about the divides in the American culture and inserted them into culture's conversations. In the language of cultural war, and it, it seemed to fit what the people were feeling in 1992. It's also what we are feeling here in 2020, isn't it? There is kind of this culture war for the soul of America. But I often wonder whether Americans have been so caught up in this idea and how much maybe you have been caught up in this idea of a cultural war that we have lost, the sight, lost sight of what the real battle is. We get caught up on the Republican side. We get caught up on the Democratic side, the secular left or the religious right. The real battle is among forces that are even far greater than Republican or Democrat, secular or religious. They are far more destructive and they are far more, if you will, real, these battles. We can see evidence of the battle all around us. We can see it in the fall of, if you will, big steeple churches, not just in sexual scandal, but in depression, in discouragement and despair. We can see it in the breakup of marriages and the, the destruction of families. We can see it in drug and alcohol abuse and in sexual addiction that changed so many men, women and children. We can also see it in the injustice and the oppression that deny life to those who live within our cities. 
No one would suggest that, that many of these human actors are not responsible for their actions. Yet I wonder if we have failed to recognize, to understand, and believe that there is a real spiritual battle going on today. We, I think we have really lost sight of that. We, we really quickly want to blame it to this party or to that party, this platform or to that platform. The reality is that undergirding all of this is a battle that we do not see, but it is very, very real. And perhaps God's people in Daniel's time have, have come to believe that all of the problems that were going on in their life were the result of these malicious national powers that were conquering the known world. After all, Israel was in the middle of this kind of political football game for a long time. They were being passed off here, passed off there. They were kind of caught in between all these things. And after a while, it moved from the Babylonians to the Medes and Persians to the next one. And we've seen in already in Daniel 8 that there, were, there would be more political and military machinations going on. There would be Persia. There would be Greece. There would be the Seleucids. And ultimately, there would be Rome. One after another after another. And in the midst of it all were God's people. They were being fought over. They were exiled. They were taken here. They were brought from here to there, to here, to there. And if the people of God were not careful, God's people would come to believe that these political actors, these other nations, were truly the true forces in the world. That it was really about Babylon versus Israel, or Babylon versus Persia, or Persia versus Greece, or this or that, or the other thing. But if they thought that, that it was really Babylon versus Israel, if they thought that, they missed the point that Daniel was, has been trying to say all throughout this book. Over and over and over again, Daniel has been telling us this, trust in God. He is the true hero of the story. Trust in God. See him as the Lord of history. See him as the true king of the world. The one who is able to deliver from the fiery furnace and the lion's den. Nothing happens apart from God's purposes and God's plan. Nothing. He is the one who orders all things according to his glorious purpose. And what we find in Daniel chapter 8 is that this God, this God in some way kind of lifts the veil and allows us to, to see behind that there is a battle that is going on, not an earthly battle, between nation states, kings and lords, or political parties, rather he lifts the veil and he shows that the, that the real battle is won between spiritual forces. One against powers and principalities, cosmic powers over this present darkness and even the devil himself. And we cannot fight, my friends, we cannot fight this battle on our own strength. You cannot. We cannot do it with your own resources. 
Rather, we need a faithful warrior who fights on our behalf and will defeat our ancient foe. Only as we stand united to this great warrior who will we be able to stand, withstand the, that evil day. Only as we trust in God as our faithful warrior, warrior will we be experiencing victory in the great war. So let's start. Let's talk about this, this great war. In, in this chapter, right off the bat, we learn that the vision, about the vision that Daniel had, and he saw that there was a great conflict that was going on. This battle was like any, unlike any other kind of war that had characterized the life of God's people thus far. After all, God's people were, were in exile as a result of war. Nebuchadnezzar fought against Judah, leveled Jerusalem. He discarded, he carted off the best men and women and brought them back to Babylon to be educated in the ways of Babylon. We can't sanitize what happened in Judah whatsoever. There was plundering, there was rape, there was destruction, there was slaughter, there was death, there was killing of tens of thousands of men, women, and children. The Babylonians had engaged in even a warfare with Persia and had been utterly defeated as well. So by the time that this vision had come, it was the third year in the reign of Cyrus, the king of Persia. It was not Nebuchadnezzar. This is later on in the story. The Medes and Persians had entered into Babylon, killed Belshazzar and thousands beside, and they have now established their rule. And so when Daniel heard about this vision of a great conflict and told his people about it, they may have automatically thought about the wars that they had heard about and they had experienced in their own life. But this war in this vision that was described was totally different. And the vision began with Daniel's time in fasting. Not eating a three-week period where he denied himself of all the luxuries of life. And during that time, he sought God's face. And how did God answer? God answered Daniel's prayer by sending a man that was clothed in linen. He, it was clearly a supernatural man, right? The, the description of this man was that he was a dazzling figure whose body just seemed to cast off this blue-green kind of hue. Just shining. His face was shining resplendently and whose voice was that like a roaring crowd, like multitudes. When he spoke, it just went out. And Daniel's response in seeing this man was that he lost all strength and he fell to the ground. But this, I love what this supernatural uh, person did. Did you notice what he did to him? There are two extraordinary things. He touched and he spoke. We're a people who need to be touched and spoken to. And did you even hear the content of his words? They were encouraging words. Daniel, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. 
He touched him and said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then there was, he was even told, listen, you are greatly loved. In those moments, Daniel probably needed to hear that. And we are so much like Daniel in this, these, these times even of needing somebody just to come alongside. When we've been touchless for how many, how many months right now, right? We are a people who need to be touched. I'm not giving you permission just to go around touching everybody and anybody. But we, you know it. We are, we've probably been touch deprived in some way. As well as the encouraging words. But what Daniel also discovered was that in these conversations that there was something going on that he did not understand. In verses 13 and 14, this, this person told him that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. But Daniel, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days where this vision is for the days that are yet to come. So this verse seems to suggest that the supernatural being was actually coming in response to Daniel's prayer, to his request. On the very first day that Daniel made his prayer request, this supernatural being was dispatched by God to come to him. But how long did it take him to get to him? 21 days, three weeks. There was this large spiritual battle going up, waged in places that Daniel could not see that prevented his arrival for three weeks. Again, toward the end of, chapter, of the chapter in verses uh, 20 and 21, the supernatural being says that he was returning to fight against the prince of Persia and that the prince of Greece was going to be coming. So further, there was, there was none that conside, uh, contended by his side like who? Michael, your prince. So without going too much into this, Going too deep into these things. Uh, if you follow me on Facebook, you know that I posted out there that this reminded me of my late high school, early college days where I read a book called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. And it's, uh, um, it's a, a fictional story that kind of infuses some spiritual things. And I think that it's, it kind of very makes vivid uh, the stories of the spiritual warfare. I think it, I don't want you to get your theology from it because it's definitely fictional. And anyway, talking about this, there is a battle that is being waged by forces of evil against God's own powers. And the implications was that the, the scenes of Daniel chapter 9, which promised these movements of Greece and Persia and four kingdoms, were not nearly the, merely the actions of human actors. It was not just about humans doing these political and uh, geological kind of moving around their world. No, but it reflected a larger reality about what Daniel and God's people could not see. There was something else going on. And that larger reality is that there is a real conflict, a conflict between God's princes 
and a warrior to come against the cosmic powers over this present, present darkness. That's Ephesians chapter 6. It's important to say, though, that this perspective, this battle between good and evil, does not entail a dualistic kind of worldview. In other words, it's not as though God and Satan are duking it out, uh, duking it out for world domination, and sometimes God gets a, a cheap, received a cheap shot from Satan that he didn't understand. It's not like that. It's not that the, the good and evil are two poles or balances in life, in the life force that shape our human destinies. No, God is the one who is over all things. And we've seen that over and over and over in the book of Daniel. It is God who is the true God, true king of the world over history and time. There is nothing that is outside of his purview. But even Though these forces of evil are somehow subservient to God and ultimately are defeated by him, that doesn't mean that they are not active and dangerous. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. These evil forces, Satan is even known as a, the father of all lies. And his forces constantly are whispering in your ear of, really? Is that what God really said? You know what's really good for you. Satisfy yourself. Enjoy these things. Get that. Don't do that. Do this instead. We, we know such texts as 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that says this. Be sober-minded. Be clear thinkers. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That is Satan's desire to devour you. And if we are simply left by ourselves to our own strength, to our own ingenuity, we could not resist the devil on our own strength. We would be undone. Because the spiritual forces of evil are real, they are powerful, and they are malignant like cancer. They are deadly. As Luther's familiar, uh, familiar hymn put it, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. So if we tried to do this on our own, no, we would be losing. We need someone who will fight on our behalf, who will defeat all of our enemies and all of his enemies. So let's start talking about who is that faithful warrior who will fight on our behalf and on his. And my friends, that warrior has come. In fact, one of the key aspects of this warrior, make, warrior king was that he is about casting out demons. And you get that right at the beginning of Mark's gospel. This is what he was doing right in Mark chapter 1. 
He confronted a man with an evil spirit who cried out in the middle of worship service. And this warrior king rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him in that moment. And this warrior noted that the work of casting out demons signaled something larger and something better was coming. He said, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This warrior was coming as a king who had authority over the entire world. And that, my friends, should give you courage. I should just say amen. And you just say amen. And we're done. He has come. He has conquered. And we can be rest assured. But yet... This warrior's greatest act in his holy war against the cosmic forces of evil looks like, it looked like his greatest defeat. It looked like he had lost. For, for he recognized that the central act in this holy war would be his, willing, his willingness to submit to death on behalf of others. And when he told this even to his, his disciples, even the voice of Satan was heard. Do you remember what Peter said? Oh, no, Lord, this can't be true. No, no. And what did Jesus say? You're behind me, Satan. Zip it up. And this warrior knew that his, his great enemy wanted him to die, wanted to kill him. And yet this warrior knew that Actually, in dying, he would secure, in his death, he was able to secure the salvation of the world. And so, what did he do? He went to the cross. This warrior was not dissuaded. He couldn't be pulled away from the cross. He knew that now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus knew that by going to the cross and his dying, he would be able to draw people to himself. So he was lifted up. He suffered on the cross. He died in your place and was fully obedient to the will of his father, bearing the full wrath of God. The full wrath of God. And it appeared as if the serpent had not nearly bruised the warrior's heel, but had totally crushed this great warrior until the third day. And on that third day, that warrior was fully alive, fully triumphant over death, receiving vindication from his father and receiving glory from God. And so it was that this warrior had received a just a heel bruise, but in his rising from the dead, crushed the serpent utterly. Now, who is this warrior who disarmed all these cosmic rulers and authorities and put them to open shame? We know his name. His name is Jesus. He conquered. He won. He defeated 
Who was this one who in his dying and his rising again began to destroy every rule and ruler and authority and power? Who was this one that ultimately defeated our fear? Who was this warrior? This warrior was our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one who fights on our side. He was the one who is able to dispel the devil with his sword. He is the one who stands as a mighty fortress of our God. He is the one to whom people run to. And as we put our wholehearted faith, my friends, as you put your wholehearted faith in him, what we find is that his victory becomes our victory. His victory becomes your victory. His ultimate triumph is our ultimate triumph. So through our union with Christ, the great and powerful warrior, we are equipped to fight a true and continued warfare. My friends, you do not just pass through this life and just live casually. You are daily fighting a spiritual war. That, of course, is the point of, of Ephesians 6, right? God calls upon us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might as we face the schemes of the devil. My friends, you are at war. You are at war. We may not see it because we're trapped in a world where all we can see and understand seems to be the things that we touch and all we believe comes from what we see. But the fact remains that you and I are engaged in a very real spiritual battle with real spiritual enemies on a daily basis who hate us and desire us to be destroyed. Their ultimate goal, whether they know it or not, they can't do it. But their goal is to destroy you. Moreover, we, we do not engage in this warfare of the Christian life in our own strength. Rather, by virtue of, of our union with Christ, we put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor. And we have his truth and we have his righteousness, God's peace and God granted faith. We stand in God's salvation, trusting in God's word and trusting in prayer. My friends, when we do the pastoral prayer, yes, it's long. And I know some of you doze off, but do you realize that there's actual real spiritual power that takes place in our time of prayer? Please do not disengage and just say, oh, Paul's doing his thing. Join me in prayer. When you hear something that's resonating in your heart, do not be ashamed of saying, yes, Lord. Make it so, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Would you be a little bit more charismatic? Believing that prayer actually accomplishes something? Would you agree with me? And say, Lord, Bless the Ambroses. May they be fruitful. Yes, Lord. Make it so. For it pleases you. And it defeats the power of Satan. Yes, Lord. Would you agree with me? Listen, the only way that we can stand in this continued war, fighting this already defeated but not yet vanquished foe, is to remember that we belong body 
and soul to our faithful Savior, the one who has already fought the battle on our behalf and rose from that empty tomb that was required for our salvation. My friends, at that last day, that day that we are longing for and we want to say, come Lord Jesus, come, because this world is broken. It needs to be redeemed. It needs to be whole again. At that day, he will appear to vanquish finally every one of yours and his enemies. On that day. I cannot wait for that day. But until then, until that day, remember that the real battle, my friends, the real battle is not the battle of election day. Hear that. The real battle is not election day. It is not our national wars. It is not the war on terror. The real battle is a spiritual battle that John Bunyan uh, really depicted well in his book, Pilgrim's Progress. If you have never read Pilgrim's Progress, pick it up. There's even a modern day version that is well really put out there. There's also a, a video out there. I think it's on Amazon Prime or Netflix, somewhere you can find Pilgrim's Progress. Find it, watch it, listen to it, read it. Anyway, the main character of that book, his name is aptly Christian. Christian. He's the main character, and he had just left the, the beautiful palace in, in the comfort of discretion, charity, piety, and prudence. That, those were his traveling companions. How would you like those names? <laughs> and having descended a very difficult hill, Christian immediately was confronted by this uh, evil monster named Apollyon. Apollyon uh, stood for all the very real forces of evil in this real battle that you and I fight. So Christian is the depiction of every Christian man, woman, and child. So Christian is now meeting this, this evil-looking monster. So repeatedly, Apollyon attempted to convince Christian that he must return back to the devil's service. And repeatedly, Christian refused. Finally, Apollyon straddled the road in rage. It kind of reminds me of a movie saying, none shall pass. And he says this, straddled across the road, he said, I am, am the enemy to this prince. I hate his person, his laws, and his people. I am come out on purpose to withstand thee, prepare thyself to die, for I swear by my infernal den that thou shalt not go further. Here will I spill thy soul. And after a fierce battle that took the better part of a day, not just a moment, because sometimes we think in our Christianese, that if I just pray this real quick prayer, everything's going to go away. No, this is depicted a full day of battle it appears that Apollyon, it looks like Apollyon would ultimately destroy Christian. And just at that moment, Christian seizes his sword, the word of God. Isn't it crazy how we forget that the whole time we have the word of God? So a whole day he was struggling on his own strength. 
And finally, at a moment where he was about ready to experience defeat, what did he go? Word of God. And he pulls out the word of God and he cried this. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And that's a quote from Micah 7, 8. He goes on to say, and with that gave him a deadly thrust, which made him give back as, the, as one that had received a mortal wound. Christian, perceiving that, made at him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And with that, Apollyon spread forth his dragon wings and sped him away that Christian saw him no more. It was that last thrust that drove that enemy away. It wasn't some, somehow Christian's strength, his ability, that finally did Apollyon in. What did he say? He spoke of the reality that as Christians, we are more than conquerors, not because of anything in ourselves, but because of him who has loved us and gave himself to us. You're more than a sword fighter. You are redeemed. You are loved. You are safe. You are secure. You are his. And you know what he's going to do? He is going to preserve you all the way, my friends, preserve you all the way to the end. That is our God. Is that not good news? Is anything stirring in your heart? Friends, that, that is good news. Our battle is fought through him who loves us. It is by virtue of our union with that warrior who has already won for us the victory in the midst of this spiritual battle. That is how we must fight this very real warfare. In the midst of the spiritual battle, which you and I fight daily, right? We fight a spiritual battle every day. How many of you agree with me? Every day, those of you who didn't raise your hand, I know you're tired, but it's true of you as well. You fight it every day. Battle, battles against temptation. Battles against depression. Battles against relational conflict. Battles with you fill in the blank. We must be persuaded you are not alone. There is a warrior who has fought for us. Stands by our side. And who indeed by his spirit is within us. He is within us. And God is calling us to run to him and say this. King Jesus, defeat yours and my enemies in my life. As I wrestle with my sin, King Jesus, with my depression, with my despair, drive deep in my heart this glorious truth. That King Jesus, you have already won. You have won the battle. Do not let the enemy use these weapons in my life. Do not let the fiery darts of the enemy destroy me. Rather, Lord, would you grant me the victory that you have already won? For I am persuaded that there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. There is neither life, 
nor death, angels, or darkness, principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation. You are the God who has loved me. You know me. You've created me. You've redeemed me. And you gave yourself for me. Lord, you are my faithful warrior. My friends, those are the kind of prayers that we need to pray. And if we would call out to the warrior to fight his real battle, the, the good news is he has struck, already struck the enemy a mortal wound already. And he continues to fight on our behalf, ensuring that when we fall, because we will, right? You and I will fall. He shall rise again now and on that last day and we will be on his wings. My friends, this is the good news of the gospel as found in Daniel chapter 10. This is why we read the Old Testament. Do not get bored with scripture because it is riddled with news that your heart, your beleaguered, tired, besieged heart needs to hear for today. Amen?